Well, in the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been going through some of the parables that Jesus told. And uh, last week, we, we read the parable of Matthew, and we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 13 again today. And so uh, you can get your Bibles out. And we said last week that a parable, and we've been saying when we um, talk about parables, parables are stories that teach a spiritual lesson. And yet, parables are not necessarily always easy to understand. Now, today is definitely going to be an example of that again, where his disciples, Jesus' disciples, literally went to Jesus again and said, explain the spiritual significance of that parable. I don't get it. Or we don't get it. And so Jesus does, and we're going to read both the parable and the explanation today. Now, sometimes when we, you know, we sing songs like, Here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. And we, we can look at a text like this and we can maybe understand the text fairly easily, but it's the meaning of the text that sometimes gets us into trouble. It's the meaning of the text that, that sometimes rubs us a little bit and says, ooh, that's not what I really thought this meant. And it's possible that for some of us here today, that's going to be the case. And so I want to preach as firmly as I can, but also with sensitivity, and I trust that we would today all say, God, I want to hear, I want to hear from you what you have to say to me. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, get your Bibles, get your phones, get your whatever you got out, Um, if you got an old scroll, you know, just make sure your neighbors give you room so you can unscroll that baby, but let's get this thing out, We we need to get into the Word of God as a church together, it's not just me up here that needs my Bible open, you need your Bibles open. Bring your Bibles, let's read together, and it's going to be on the screen, I believe, as well. And so, chapter 13, verse 24, okay? Now remember, Jesus has been on the seashore, and all these people came, and so he got into this boat, and he started teaching them in parables. And here's another parable. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his fields. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow weeds? Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barns. An interesting parable. Some of us who maybe you know aren't as familiar with with farming and stuff like that. I remember you know this summer or this spring when I was in in Belize and I went to see this guy's uh, um, rice fields. And we're driving along, and he says, "Ike, you see that grass over there?" And and he says, "You see how it's a little bit of a different color?" And, and I was like, "No, I don't really see it." And he did right away. And he told me, he goes, Ike, if I don't get rid of that stuff, it will take over my entire crop in no time. And so these weeds, these dangerous weeds have to be getting, gotten rid of. But well, these weeds that the, the parable is talking about 
are weeds called bearded darnel. And these weeds are annoying because they look so similar to weeds. And so the enemy snuck in, planted these weeds so that no one would notice until the wheat starts kind of getting ready for harvest. And that's when you would begin to notice the difference between the bearded darnel and the wheat. Well, at this time, you start getting into trouble because bearded darnel has really weird roots. It goes all over the place, and so it wraps itself around the roots of the wheat. And so if you go to pull up bearded darnel, you're going to pull up and you're going to destroy the crop. The purpose, obviously, for why they were planted there in the first place. And so you have these enemies, you have these people who would come and you would do this. Now again, we don't understand this, but in that time, very often, enemies would come and they would wipe out the agricultural, agriculture of a community or the enemy so that there's nothing to grow. They couldn't obviously have a harvest and ultimately it would cause them a lot of damage. And that's what the enemy has done here. So what they have to do then is once it was harvest time, they would separate the wheat from the bearded darnel, and then they would see to it that they burnt it. And the purpose for burning it was obviously so that it would no longer grow, but the other purpose was that it would not multiply. Every wheat farmer's greatest fear would have been bearded darnel in their fields. Now Matthew's theology, the book of Matthew is written by Matthew. His theology of the kingdom, the commentary or the explanation, makes several important points for us this morning. First thing we need to notice, and we'll read this in a little bit in the explanation, the first thing we need to notice is that the field to which the parable relates is defined as the world, not the church. So what we're looking at here is not weeds and seeds or sin that's been planted in the church necessarily but planted in the world obviously the response to sin within the church and the response to sin outside the church are to be very different as jesus reigns over as the son of man his reign encompasses the entire world not just the church So what we have then is not a story of how believers should deal with evil in the church, but we have a story here of how God will deal with evil in the world. And that's important for us to get. In the parable and in its explanation, Matthew assures us that God will judge evil and evildoers at their right time. At the same time, this text warns us that crusades on our part to eliminate Evil in the world are both misguided and also dangerous. The disciples are again puzzled. And so they go back to Jesus and they want to get from him, what is the spiritual meaning? What is the spiritual meaning of this teaching? And so when they are alone with him, they ask him, they say, Jesus, can you please explain the meaning to us of this parable. And so I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 36, um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 36. And here Jesus gives the explanation to this parable. Then he left them and went into his house, into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Excuse me, in the fields. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The fields in the world. The field is the world. 
And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are, are, are angels. Verse 40, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the field, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, and there, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now let me begin by saying this. This parable and the explanation that Jesus gives here has been interpreted in many different ways. And so I want to do my best to explain it as I understand Jesus means it here. But I want to caution us that the meaning is maybe not necessarily always what we want to hear. is maybe not something that we enjoy hearing. But I believe that Jesus has a very strong lesson here for the church. The first thing that we need to see in this parable is that the enemy snuck in when no one was watching. Okay, Had the owner of the field, had the owners known that on this and this day, the enemy would come in and try to plant these weeds, clearly the owner would have had guards on duty to make sure that they were never planted. And so we need to be very careful that we recognize that the enemy is still trying to bring evil into our lives and bring evil into the church. So Christians should not expect that Satan will somehow stop trying to impact the world. We shouldn't expect that somehow, because once we're Christians, that the devil is going to stop impacting our world, stop impacting our lives, and we shouldn't consider that we will be free of the effects of that. We as Christians will be affected by evil in the world. And so we shouldn't assume that we will not be. Satan will continue to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter says that Satan is a roaring lion looking for people to devour. Satan is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. And he will tell us anything he can to deceive us. He will tell us anything he can to distract us from focusing on what we need to be focused on. And he he will use people, even people who are not followers of Christ, to hinder the work of the church. This is reality. This is evil in the world. And sometimes we... He, he may even get these weeds into the church. He may even get these weeds to start working within the church to disrupt what God is doing. He wants to distract the church. He wants to hinder the church from producing fruit. And I believe one of the best ways that he will try to do that is he will lie to us and he will tell the church, what you must be busy with is pulling weeds. You need to be out there pulling weeds. You need to be out there, church, making sure that evil is done away with. You need to make sure that there's no more evil in the world. You need to protest. You need to stand against all the evil in the world. And ultimately what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to deceive like an enemy would try to do. He would try to deceive the workers in that field and say, don't listen to your master. Don't listen to your master. Go out there. 
Pull those weeds out, because my goodness, they're weeds. They're not wheat. Pull the weeds. And we know from the teaching that Jesus just gave here, if you would do that, you are going to do more harm to the crop than if you just leave it. You guys are giving me the same look the first group gave me. I want us to listen carefully today. God wants his followers to spend their energy-bearing fruit. God wants us as his followers. Jesus came so that we would bear fruit rather than working to all that we can to get rid of sin and sinners in this world. Friends, we can't do that. We can't do that. We will never rid the world of sin. But what we can do is bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, we will have a far greater impact in the world than if we spend all our energy trying to oust the world of sin. Satan would love nothing more than for the church to be distracted, trying to get rid of something we can never get rid of, while we are at the same time not producing any fruit. So we as a church, we as people, we as believers, we only have so much energy, we only have so much time. And so we shouldn't focus on trying to purify the world of sin. We need to focus on bringing the message of Jesus to the world. Bearing fruit wherever we go. Making sure that people understand that we stand for God. That we love Him. We take a stand, yes. But we're doing it in love. Drawing people to Him. If we spend, if we choose to spend all of our time on evaluating everyone and trying to rid everyone of all the sin that's out there, ultimately all we are going to do is we are going to eliminate our own ability to bear fruit for God. Now let me give a face to this so that you understand where I'm coming from. I got an email this week. You know, I don't get too many of these, but every now and then. And and the email, and the person who sent the email is not here, so you'll never know I deleted it already. I was called a hypocrite, I was called shallow, I was called lots of things. You know why? Pastor, you don't preach against the evil of Obama. I just kind of laughed. He's not even our president. And my first thought was, really? So what I should do every Sunday and what's going to draw people is if I stand up here and preach every Sunday about the evil of the world, and I stand up here every Sunday and preach against this and preach against that, so that at the end of the service, we are all filled with hatred towards evil. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know how that's going to draw people to Christ. So I would rather spend my energy, I would rather spend my time talking to us about the love of Jesus, talking to us about God and how He loves us and how He cares for us and how we need to take a stand against evil, but how we need to also be out there amongst being a light for Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm talking about. But I want to caution us today as a church. We can get distracted. And we can get busy pulling out weeds. And in the end, if we're not careful, we will also notice, wow, we have done far more harm than good. 
So why do we exist as a church? You see it on our wall back there. You see it on our website. Our church mission statement is this. To exalt God. To embrace one another. To equip for service. And to extend the kingdom. And where do we get these statements from? These are the great statements that we find in the great commandment and, and also in the great commission. Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love the, your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The second verse passage is this, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always, to the ends of the age. So we get these Four words out of love the Lord your God, worship, exalt. Love your neighbor, fellowship, embrace one another. Make disciple, discipleship, go and equip. We don't want to stay as infants. We want to be equipped. We want to grow. Go into all the world, evangelism, extend. So we as a church exist to exalt, to embrace to equip and to extend. And if we're not careful, we can get distracted and we can be busy and we can put all our energy into doing everything but these things. Now I understand that within this congregation, we are going to hold many different opinions on topics and issues that have divided Christians for years. But we must keep the main thing the main thing. We are about loving God. We are about loving our neighbors. We are focused on making disciples and spreading the message of Jesus Christ to the world. If we focus on these things, I believe we will bear fruit and have a much greater impact on the world than if we focus on other things. I wrestle with what I tell stories off the cuff, and so let me tell one off the cuff. I um, was at a party once. My, Maria and I were there. I, mean, I don't want to tell details. I don't want you to figure out who it was. And at this party, and please, this is sensitive. There's lesbians there. And I got into conversation with them. And one of them looked at me and she says, Pastor, how is it that we get along so well? And I just said to her, I said, well, you know, well, whatever, and, and I, want, I forget the conversation exactly, but I know one of the things I said, I, I find it interesting that we do, I, I also said, I find it interesting that we get along so well um, when we would differ on so many things. When there are things that I stand for that you would, you would oppose. So I flipped it around. I'm not opposing you, you oppose me. Well done, Ike. You know? And so she looked at me, and she's, in her, her words, she says, I wonder the same. Friends, I can't save those people. You can't save those people. You can't save those people that are out there living far from God. 
You can't save those people who are living a lifestyle that's completely opposite to what God wants, but you can introduce them to someone who can, and that's Jesus Christ. And I pray, I pray that maybe somehow this will have been an introduction. We still have contact with them. Love these, love these people. And so we need to take Paul's advice. Paul says in, to Titus, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, listen to what he says here. Such good advice for the church. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Beyond trying to make sure everyone agrees with our certain point of doctrine, I think that in this passage, in this parable, there are other applications that we need to put into place. We need to exercise grace more than exercise judgment. If I follow Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, He's saying it's not your job to judge. So we need to exercise the same grace that we have received Think about this for a moment. If God right now would say, no, you know what? Judgment. That's all I'm going to give my people is judgment. How many of us would still be here today? God has given us an abundance of grace. We must exercise that same grace, especially to non-believers. Especially to non-believers. Because how else will they be drawn in? They will not be interested in God, God by judgment. They will not be drawn to God if we are only about criticism and putting them down and judging them. They will be drawn if we are people of grace who express the same grace that we have received. Someday, someday, There will be a day of reckoning, though. Where everyone will be divided. But until then, we need to do all that we can to draw people in. So if you're hearing me say that we should no longer evangelize or that we should no longer be involved in our community, no, that's not what I'm saying. What we must be busy with is not telling non-believers how horrible their sin is what we need to put our energy and our time into is telling non-believers how much god loves them in living our lives as an example of that love here's the key thing you and i cannot save people that can only be done by the holy spirit as he draws people in But what we can do is we can work towards bringing people to this encounter. So as we approach non-believers and as we approach people who are clearly opposed to the message of Jesus, we need to approach them with this attitude as, I can't save you, but I can introduce you to the one who can. And so I will live my life and I will try with all that I can to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Because He can save you, I can't. So I'm going to take that burden off myself of trying to save people from their sins. I can't do that. But I will take on the burden of saying, I will live my life in such a way to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Because they must be introduced to Him in order to be saved. So one of the clear messages, though, that we see in this parable, which I find the most difficult 
is that the harvest time is coming. Because I know of so many people who are not ready for that day. Just as surely as a crop grows to a certain point and then is harvested, our world is moving to a time where it will be gathered and it will be separated. The wheat will be separated from the weeds. And the weeds will be collected and burned. So one day, all of this will end. Let's look again at verse 13 of this chapter. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And in his explanation, Jesus says this, this, verse 41, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So in this passage, we see that there will be a clear separation. There will be a divide. Those who have spent their life far from God, those who have spent their life in opposition to God, will be gathered up. And they will be thrown into hell. And that is never an easy teaching. What are we as a church doing to make sure that very few are gathered for that destination? Those of us who live our lives following Jesus, having fully surrendered our lives to Jesus, bearing fruit, we will be gathered and we will be welcomed into, the, into heaven. So in the midst of all the distractions and the heartaches of this world, we've got to keep our minds on the fact that the end will come. And so as a church, we need to be focused not on ridding evil of the world. Evil will one day be done away with. But we need to focus our energy and our time in saying, how can I produce as much fruit as I can in the world while we still have time? In this text... There's also hope. There's hope for those who are living in Christ. That one day, sin will be done away with. Hold fast then. Hold fast. Stay true to the teachings of Jesus. Bear as much fruit as you can. Live for Jesus every day, knowing that one day, sin will be done away with. There is hope for all of us as believers. Never let go of that. Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. At the end of times, it says, And the devil, Satan himself, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. In the end, sin is done away with. But oh, how the devil would love to distract us now, saying, you can do it now. So there's hope for 
those who have given their lives to Christ. So we as believers, we need to live our lives to make sure that we bear fruit and not just win wars and arguments and debates. But in this passage, there's also hope for those who have not yet given their life to Christ. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus, there's still hope for you because you still have today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For He says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So today, you still have time. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Today you still have time. Today you still have time to invite Jesus in. Today you still have time to turn the course of your life and surrender yourself over to Jesus Christ. But know this, there will come a day when you will no longer be able to do so. Let me invite the team to come up. We're going to wrap up here. And I, I want you just to know, I want to read a couple of verses to us, but then I want us to respond. I want us to respond to this this morning because I believe God has something here for us. And so I want to prepare you to respond to what Jesus is saying here to us, I believe, this morning. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But then look at verse 9. Look at the promise that comes right after that. In other words, John's saying, if you think you don't need Jesus, you're deceiving yourself. We all need Jesus to be saved. And then the beautiful promise of verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So if you do not know Jesus today, there's your verse for you. Do it today, because you still have it. If, and only if, we confess our sins, then Jesus, who died and rose for you and me, He is faithful just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us purify us from all unrighteousness do you need that I got friends and heavy on my heart because I have friends who need that. My commitment to my own life that I will not be distracted to the point where they don't see me living a life that introduces them to Jesus. So there's a burden on me and there should be a burden on all of us, but I want to focus on those of you here right now who are saying, if you would be honest right now, you would say, I am walking far from God. I am walking far from God. But today I want to come back. 
today I want to give my life to him. So we're going to do the church thing. We're going to bow our heads. Okay, if you're new to church, this is what we church people do when we want people to raise hands and stuff like that. I don't know why, but we just do. It's for your sake, I think. So bow your heads, out of respect. Let me ask this question. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and right now you're saying, I know that I'm living far from God. So Jesus, I want in. I want you. If right now you're saying, I want Christ in my life, just pop your hand up. You're not responding to me. Amen, amen. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you're saying today, I want to give my life to Christ. Right now, I want to pray for you. Father, you see the hand. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I pray for this person. I pray, God, that they would just have an encounter from you. That from this day on, they would see that they are new. They're in you, Christ. They're responding to you, Jesus. They're responding, Jesus, save me. Thank you so much for salvation. I pray that they would just realize and see your love new and new again every day. Now to the rest of us. Have you gotten distracted? Has your life become about something other than bearing fruit for Jesus? Are you distracted? Are you spending all your energy and all your time focused on who knows what, but it's anything but trying to bring the message of Jesus into your workplace or bringing the message of Jesus into your school or into your neighborhood? Are you distracted? Have you been deceived to go out there and try to pull weeds when you should just allow God to do the separating and all you need to do is bear fruit? I want to pray for you. And so if that's you, and this, please don't just say now, oh, I'm going to quickly pop my hand up, but if that's you right now, and you're saying, from this day on, I want to go out there, and I want to bear fruit. I want to be sent this morning, because that will be my prayer for you. I want to send you this morning. And so if you're saying, yes, I want to go. I want to go. I want to bear fruit in my neighborhood. I want to bear fruit in my university. I want to bear fruit wherever I am. I want to make the name of Jesus known so that those who are still far from Him will somehow be introduced to Him through me. If that's you, I want to pray for you. So raise your hand if that's you. Make sure you mean it. Father, you see the hands. And so, Father, I pray right now for those of us who said yes. I want to go out. I want to go out. I want to go out. I want to spread the message of Jesus to all who come in contact with us. But Lord, I know that the key thing is going to be our own relationship with you. So I pray that we would rid ourselves of anything that would hinder us. God, I pray that we would have open hearts to receive from you. Would you lead us, God, to the person that you want us to be in contact with? Would you lead us, God, into the environment that you want us to live in? And may we, in those places, bear fruit for the kingdom of Jesus. We thank you so much, God, for what you will do. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that invites in by how we live. 
name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's do this. We have time today. We have time today. Tomorrow we may not. So let's do this. Let's bear fruit for the name of Jesus.